0: Hey, what's up? This is Jason from Center Point Church. We're in this series called Blood, Guts, and the Goat. That's right. That's what this series is called. We're approaching the Christmas season, and I want us to really focus on why Jesus had to come to earth. I'm excited to be on this series. I think God's going to speak to you through it. Let's jump right in. All right, we are starting a new series today called Blood, Guts, and the Goat. Blood, Guts, and and the goat, and this is gonna take us all the way to Christmas. And some of you are like, dude, it's a little too early for a Christmas message already, Jason, but I also wanna point out that probably a third of you already have your Christmas tree up. (laughs) Raise your hand if you have your Christmas tree up or any kind of Christmas decor already. Oh, really, that's not nearly as much as first service. First service, it was a lot. Uh, Well, I blame you people for why it's freezing cold. You tricked Mother Nature to think it's late December. Uh, I hate, I hate cold weather, but that's a whole nother sermon for a whole nother day. Now, so here's what I want to tell you is that what we're going to be doing between now and Christmas is we're going to be studying the book of Leviticus. Now they tell you, if you want to grow your church, never, ever, ever preach on a Leviticus. So we're going to be preaching on Leviticus. And, and it's the third book of the Bible, so if you have a Bible with you, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, it's the third book of the Torah written by Moses. If you don't have a Bible, we'll have all the verses up on the screen. Or if your Bible glows, you can hurry up and, and make your way to the tab This is Leviticus. And we're going to start in chapter one. This is week one of a series that will take us all the way to Christmas. And my message this week is titled, Gross Things and Disgusting Smells. Gross Things and Disgusting Smells. And the message is actually titled After Adam's Office. That's where I got the title for this. And Leviticus is where New Year's resolutions go to die. Do you know what the number two New Year's resolution of people in church is? To read your Bible more. You know what the number one is? Lose weight. (laughs) I know, I know. I've had that New Year's resolution for 20 years in a row. So Leviticus, the number two resolution is, I'm gonna read my Bible more. We get through Genesis, great. Doing great. Exodus, a little boring, but I'm still doing great. You get to Leviticus and your New Year's resolution, Arr! comes to a screeching halt. Why? Because it's weird. And there's things about like things dying and bleeding and burning, ki- burning kidneys and splashing blood and all these rules and all these reg- regulations. And you're like, what does this have to do with me? It's It's boring. And it's strange. But here's what I want to challenge you with. Over the next month, probably month and a half, we're going to go through the whole book. And we'll skip around a little bit. But there's three things that the book of Leviticus is going to do, which is why I think you need to study it. Well, we need to study it together. The first one is this. The book of Leviticus unlocks all other books of the Bible. There's so many things that are themes, that are verses, that are words, that we don't really understand unless we can get a grasp on the book of Leviticus. It's going to unlock so much of Scripture. So many things you're going to read later and you're going to be like, oh, that's why. Okay. The other thing is this, number two of three, is I think it's going to let us understand the holiness of God. The holiness of God. You see, the holiness, holiness of God isn't preached very much in today's church. We talk a lot about how Jesus loves you, and he does. We talk a lot about how God is love, and he is. But if there's one attribute, I can only choose one to pick to describe God, it is holy. He is holy. And we are not apart from him. And so what I think that by the time that we're done studying the book of Leviticus, you will understand the holiness of God and why that's so important. And then the last one is this. Oh, by the way, I have written that because it's very interesting. In the book of Leviticus, the word holy appears 152 times. The word blood, 88. So if you like gross, disgusting horror movies and things like that, uh, if you're going to get lightheaded, it's going to be a long month and a half. Uh, uh, But the other thing, the final thing is that I think in the book of Leviticus that we need to study and understand is the depth of what Jesus did on the cross. And I think it's impossible unless you have a grasp on the book of Leviticus. Because I have questions. I want to know, like, why did Jesus have to come to the earth? Why couldn't God, in all of his infinite wisdom and power, just simply tell Adam and Eve, you're forgiven. Come back in. Like, yeah, I know I kicked you out, but now I'm going to forgive you. Come back in. Why didn't that happen? Why did he have to send his son to live a perfect life, to die on the cross in a gruesome way for you and I? Why? And I think those are legitimate questions. Now, we're going to go over all of them over the course of this series. But if I were to give you just the book of Leviticus in a small little bite-sized chunk, for those of you that grew up in the 90s like I did, these are, this is the Cliff Note version, all right? Some of you have no idea what Cliff Notes are, but that got me through high school, Mike. You know what I'm talking about? We went to high school together. He was terrible in high school. I was perfect. They all knew I was going to pre- be a preacher one day, Right? No, not at all. (laughs) It's proof God can use anybody. The cliff note version is this. God wanted to find a way to dwell with imperfect people. God wanted to be around humans. So before he could, he had to put some systems in place to make a holy God be able to dwell with imperfect, sinful people. And eventually, we're going to discover that the process is exhausting and it's ineffective. Therefore, we have to implement Jesus coming so that the price will be paid once and for all. So, in the book of Leviticus, let me set it up and then we're going to jump in as promised to chapter 1, verse 1. But what happens is the, the Israelites escape slavery from Egypt. They're headed to the promised land. Moses is bringing them there. He goes up to the top of Mount Sinai, gets the Ten Commandments, and gets the Levitical law is what they would call it. The Mosaic law, some people say. And it's a, rule, a list of rules and regulations the humans had to follow so that God could dwell with them because he wants to be with his people. But remember, he's holy, and God cannot be in the presence of sin. And so he gives them a list of things they have to do so that he can be in their presence. And Leviticus starts off with five different offerings or sacrifices. And we're going to cover the first four today. It's the first four chapters of Leviticus. Now, don't worry. We're not going to actually be doing any sort of sacrifices today, all right? The only thing I'm going to do is sacrifice a pizza in about an hour, all right? But, but we're not going to be doing any sacrifices. Don't worry. But I am going to paint a picture as to what life would have been like during this time period. So we're going to go through one, two, three, four, the first four types of sacrifices or offerings that were necessary. The first one is the burnt offering. Leviticus 1, 1 through 4. I'm going to read it out loud. The burnt offering. The Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. He said, speak to the Israelites and say to them, when anyone among you brings an offering to the Lord, bring as your offering an animal from either the herd or the flock. Who's bringing it? You. You know what that means? Y'all. Yons. use guyses. Verse 3. If the offering is a burnt offering from the herd, you are to offer a male without defect. Underline those two words, without defect. Some translations say without blemish. You must present it at the entrance to the tent of meeting so that it will be acceptable to the Lord. You are to lay a hand on the head of the burnt offering and it will be accepted on your behalf to make atonement for you. Atonement is an important word. So what happens here is, You are to bring an animal to the offering, to the altar, and you are to lay a hand on its head, and your job isn't over yet, to make atonement. Atonement is a fancy seminary word for to make things right, to pay off a debt. And so you are going to make things right with God, and in order for sin to be forgiven, something innocent needs to die. It's the only way. And so we see this phrase without blemish, without defect. And this goes against our tendency, man, because our tendency is to give God the leftovers. Our tendency isn't to bring him the best. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't, but our default isn't that way. Have you ever been laying in bed at night and you realize that you haven't prayed all day and you're like, oh, crud, I forgot to pray. So you start praying to God and then you fall asleep as you're praying? It's okay, But what does that say to God? So I got this without you. My day is going to be fine without you. And and now I'm going to give you the leftovers. I'm not going to present you the best. And we, we do this with our time. We do this with our energy, with our attention. Sometimes we give God what's left instead of bringing him what's perfect. Now, now I want to pull the audience for a moment. Uh, if you were here before I was here, so a little over two years ago, if you were at this church consistently, raise your hand. And leave it up. Now, first of all, it's amazing. Look around at how many you, God has brought you here over the last two years. In the first service, we were absolutely packed, and it was even even smaller numbers. So no church, I just want to tell you, in America is growing at the percentage rate that this church is, and that's because of you guys. You're the one inviting people. Yeah. Put your hands back up, and I want you to look around at who has their hands up so you know who to blame in just a moment. (laughs) Before I got here and when I got here, I was amazed at how much stuff was here at the church. And none of it was very nice, Mitzi. It wasn't like, hey, we got this amazing new thing. Let's donate it to the church. No, no. It was, I got a new couch So that old junk one in my house, I don't know what to do with. Let's drop it off at Center Point Church. And there's closets of your junk. Put your hands back up. A lot fewer hands. Now, according to the Levitical Mosaic law, when you get a new couch, the new one should go to my office. I heard one amen. Thank you. You've seen my office. So what I want to point out is it doesn't make you a bad person, it makes you a human. And our tendency is to not give God the best, our tendency is to give Him the bare minimum for him to still be pleased with us. To give him the bare minimum amount of prayer for him to still be pleased with us. To give the bare, bare minimum amount of money to the church so that he'll still bless our finances. The bare amount of our time serving so he'll still be pleased with us. Let me put this in human connotation for a moment. That's the equivalent of me saying, I'm going to treat my wife as bad as I can, whatever the limit is, so she'll still love me and be married to me. It's a human tendency. So, you, the sinner, have to bring this animal to the altar. You're putting your hand on its head, and this is where it gets worse. Verse five. Still a work in progress. You are to slaughter the young bull before the Lord. Who? And then Aaron's sons, the priests, shall bring the blood and splash it against the sides of the altar at the entrance to the tent of meeting. You are to skin the burnt offering and cut it to pieces. hmm That's a barbecue you don't want to go to. The sons of Aaron, the priests, put the fire on the altar and arrange the wood on the fire. Aaron's sons, the priests, shall arrange the pieces, including the head and the fat, on the wood that is burning on the altar. You are to wash the internal organs and the legs with water. And the priest is to burn all of it on the altar. It is a burnt offering, a food offering, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. Probably not going to get that scent of candle at Bath and Body Works for their holiday collection. The smell of burning flesh. This this, uh, uh, offering, the burnt offering, uh, comes from two things. Uh, One, uh, I I was a server at a restaurant for a long time, several restaurants, because college is expensive. And uh, I remember this one guy, he ordered his steak. I said, how do you want it? He said, I want it burnt with ketchup. He was from Westmoreland. That's not where it comes from. The name comes from the Hebrew word, which has this idea, this phrase of what goes up. So they would take this animal and they would burn it, char it, and the smoke and the ash would go up in the air and that's where they get the name of the burnt offering. But, but here's what I want you to understand is this idea of you're gonna be putting your hand on the, the, the animal's head and then you are gonna be responsible for slicing its throat. This innocent animal has to die for your sins. What would that look like? What would that feel like? What would that smell like? What would that be? I think it would be a reminder of the cost of sin. See, salvation is free, but it costs God a lot. And I think that in in today's modern church, we're so flippant about sin because we have so much access and easy access to forgiveness, which you do. But sin is costly. There's no such thing as sin in a vacuum. How many of you were raised in broken homes because of the sin of one of your parents? Generational curses are in place because of sin of fathers and grandfathers and great-grandfathers. So you had a couple options as to what you would bring to the altar based upon your financial ability. There would be a cow, a bull, a sheep, and this is in descending order, a goat, turtle doves or a pigeon based upon what you could afford. So everyone had access to it. And even now, some of you are thinking, well, I just give a pigeon. If I could just give a pigeon, like, why would I go all the way to the cow? Why would I, why would I go straight to the bull? What can I get a coupon for that? Why? Because our mindset is warped. Our mindset, our default isn't, I'm going to give God the best of whatever I can possibly give him. A while ago, I, 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 my wife and I made a challenge. Um, sometimes you say things that are, that are foolish, but I, I wanted to be the first guy in my family to give away a million dollars by the time I die. I want to sow in a million dollars into the church, a local church, wherever I attended or wherever I served by the time that I died, because it's an upside down kingdom. It's reversed. It's, it's like, it's crazy, right? You want to give away a million dollars? Yes. And that was when I was a school teacher, so you know I wasn't making any money. Good news, the burnt offering is over. That was the worst of the four. You made it, all right? It gets better from here. The second one, and by the way, the rest of Leviticus chapter one goes through what you do with the different types of animals, and so it gets a little bit monotonous, but God was very specific because he needed to be so that he could dwell with his people. The second offering is called the grain offering. Leviticus chapter two, and this is gonna tell us about the grain offering. When anyone brings a grain offering to the Lord, their offering is to be of the finest flour. What kind of flour? Not great value. (laughs) Not what you got at Sam's Club on the discount. Not even tax free. Maybe the finest flour. They are to pour olive oil on it, put incense on it, and take it to Aaron's sons and priests and the priests. The priest shall take a handful of the flour and the oil together with all of the incense and burn this as a memorial portion on the altar, a food offering, an aroma that is pleasing to the Lord." So you could present this grain offering in a couple of different ways. You could roast it, you could give it raw, you could bake it. And all of Leviticus 2 talks about the different ways based upon how the grain is going to be. But I like this offering because it's a reminder to us that everything we have comes from the Lord. See, the idea in Hebrew of this is made of the hands, so it was this idea that we, we could take the grain, we can plant it in the ground, we can water it, but you and I do not have the power to make it grow. That only comes from the Lord. You and I don't have the power to even make our heart keep beating. That comes from the Lord. So this was a offering that recognized everything I have that we get sustenance from, everything that I have that we make money off of, everything that I've put my work, my hands to, and and I've worked in the field, I'm going to bring the first portion to you, God, to recognize that without you, none of this is possible. It's the idea of the first fruits. It's the idea of bringing God the first, asking him to bless the rest, of recognizing everything comes from him. But it's counterintuitive with today's society. The third one is my favorite. I think it might be yours, too. It's called the peace offering, shalom, or the fellowship offering. It's in chapter three. And this one, I'm gonna give you just the bird's eye view of it. This this fellowship offering, they would bring an animal without defect, still the same. They would cut up a chunk of it and they would burn it. A chunk of it would go to the priests as their payment, and then you would bring home a big chunk of it. You're still responsible for putting your hand on its head and slicing its throat and burning its innards and all that stuff. But you get to go home with some meat. Now, I got to imagine, Mitzi, that it also came with a basket of yeast rolls and a glass of sweet tea. But what you would do with this is you would bring the meat home and you would throw a party for it with you and all of your friends. I told you you'd like it. Why would we do that? Why would God have you throw a party with the meat? We celebrate a lot in today's society. You graduated high school. Let's throw you a party. It's really not that hard to graduate from high school. You graduated from college. Now that that's tough. Let's throw you a party. You got married? You got married again. You get, well, you get it. Hey, you turned 10 years old. Like you had anything to do with turning 10 years old. We should celebrate all of those things. I'm being sarcastic. It's my spiritual gift. I, I, I get all of that. But here's the point. When was the last time that we just had a party to celebrate that we are right with God? When was the last time we had a party with all of our friends and invited everybody and ate a bunch of food and just said, we are celebrating the goodness of God? And what would that do with all of your friends if we posted that on social media? Hey, we're out here tonight just hanging out, celebrating, eating good food because God is good to us. That was the point of this, is so that all of your neighbors would know you could be a light in your community and so that you can constantly be reminded if God never did anything else for Jason... He made a way for me to spend eternity with him and he owes me nothing more. That's enough. And that's the point of the fellowship offering is to be reminded that Jesus already did plenty. And you and I are grateful. Now then it was just to celebrate that they were made right with God because of the sacrificial system sometimes when we do things for God we do it like with this look on our face like okay I'm going to go serve in the, first, in the nursery in tiny town one for first service but I don't want to and I know they're going to poop a lot and I'm not you do sometimes I do I got to get to church I got to preach I just want to go home I just... no no this is the least I can do for the Lord after what he's forgiven me of. I was thinking of this this morning, this is not in my, my notes, but I just wanna show you that I'm human just like you. I, I was in my office right before first service. I always do this, I go in there by myself, I put my face down on the ground and just pray to God, just search my heart. And if there's anybody else that you ever have for this job, it's yours, so I'm just a steward of it. Uh, and, and I just thought to myself, if, if you answered all of my prayers, God, would it change my life or would it change the world? my prayer life is just so much about what I need from him. And I want to shift it to just declaring how good he is. The fourth and the last one that we're going to talk about today as far as offerings go is called the sin offering, the sin offering. And it is a little different than you might think. It comes from the Hebrew term to miss the mark. It is an archery term. So if you shoot bow and arrow, I guess what that's called and you're not as good as Robin Hood, and you miss the target, you missed the mark, you sinned. And it's this idea of that we're we're not going to be able to to make the mark of what is required of a holy God. This offering is a little bit different. And the very first time I read it, which was when I was seven, because I read the Bible in Leviticus and King James when I was seven years old. Uh, that's a, a joke. Uh, the King James part and the seven-year-old part. But, but I'm reading the, the Bible, and I'm reading this, and I'm like, that doesn't make any sense, because it says that when you sin unintentionally, And that's a little bit strange. But Leviticus chapter four talks about what to do if you sin unintentionally for the leader, for the priest, for the people, all of these different lists of people. I want to read you the one for just the individual. So we're going to be in Leviticus chapter four, verse 27. If any member of the community sins unintentionally and does what is forbidden in any of the Lord's commands, this is the key, when they realize their guilt, and the sin they have committed becomes known. They must bring as their offering for the sin they committed, a female goat without defect. They are to lay their, head, their hand on the head of the sin offering and slaughter it at the place of the burnt offering. How do you sin unintentionally? Well, there's a couple of different things. First of all, if you didn't grow up in church, if you didn't grow up knowing who God is, if you didn't have the luxury of being raised in a Christian home, and it is a luxury, there's a lot of things you probably did without even realizing it. There's a lot of things that you're like, had I even known, I wouldn't have done it, God, but I didn't know. And so it says, when they realize their sin, that's when they say, forgive me. You, say, you and I, we have the ability for Jesus to forgive us of sins, past, present, and future, but, but they had to recognize it and then bring a sacrifice for what they had done before they knew the other thing is, is that sometimes we unintentionally hurt people. A sin. Can I, can I talk to the ladies in the house for just a moment? Have you ever had a, uh, a facial expression that met? May- Charlie, don't laugh. She's sitting right next to you, man. That was bad strategy. Bad strategy. Have you ever had a facial expression? <laughs> Randall's laugh. A facial expression that maybe communicated something other than what you really wanted it to communicate? I, that's the quietest you've ever been, Katie. Now here's the problem with me. I got these eyebrows. Now they're perfectly manicured, make no mistake, but <laughs> but they they give off a look sometimes that I don't necessarily mean to give off. They just they're they're angry. Like, if I was a potato head, I'd take them out and put the other ones in. Like, I sometimes my facial expressions can make people think I'm mad at them or make people think things that I don't necessarily mean to. Now sometimes it's my actions. I know this is going to be hard for you to believe but sometimes I'm a little forceful and and, and I'm kind of like a bull in a china shop. I know that's hard to believe and I just go right through and I leave a wake of broken dishes in my way without realizing it and sometimes I, I, I may do things to somebody and not even realize it because I'm focused on this and I just throw out these words and I don't realize how barbed they are or how how, how much they hurt and, and I don't even think about it and there sitting there carrying these wounds from what I did unintentionally but it doesn't mean that it's right you can't just say I'm keeping it real one of the things God hate is people who sow discord amongst the brethren meaning affect people here in the church in a negative way so God had a way to receive forgiveness for that with the sin offering four types of sin. Now, what I want to do during this series each week is we're going to take a chunk of Leviticus and then we're going to apply it to other principles in the Bible because one of the things I absolutely love are echoes throughout scripture. And I just love that the word of God, you continue to see these themes and, and how it all ties together like a beautiful bowl of spaghetti blessed by God. And, 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 and so I want to do that. And so what I want us to see now is what Jesus had to do and why Because it ties in with these offerings. I feel like this morning, I got up early, I was praying over this message, and, and, and there's two different things that God gave me. They're not even in the, in the notes, because I, I feel like they were given by God this morning. I really do, and I don't throw that around very often. But I want you to hear, we're going to be in Hebrews for a moment. Hebrews chapter 10, which would be a great name for a Christian coffee shop, just saying, Hebrews, and then your two sizes instead of small and large as David and Goliath. Come on, somebody. That's some funny stuff right there. Hebrews chapter 10, not even in the notes. That's for free. Uh, I want you to hear this part. I'm just going to read this out loud. The law is only a shadow of the good things to come that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect for those to draw near to worship. Otherwise, they would not have stopped being offered, for the worshipers would have been cleansed once and for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Did you hear that? That answers our question. Why did Jesus have to come to the earth? Why did he have to live a perfect life? So that he would be without defect, so that he would be without blemish, so that it was a sacrifice that would be pleasing to God. And, and 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 it says there that the, the sacrifice of the animals didn't actually even redeem them or forgive their sin. And it says that if, if it was good enough, they would have never stopped. You and I would still be sacrificing animals if it was good enough. But it wasn't. It never actually made things right with God. That's why he had to send Jesus as a mediator between a holy God and, in, and, and imperfect people. And so what happened is these sacrifices were like a credit card payment. Like if you're paying interest only on your loan or if you're paying minimum balance, like you didn't just pay it. It's getting pushed forward and pushed forward as it grows the debt. And that's what these, these animal sacrifices did. It pushed forward the sin. It didn't forgive it. It just pushed, pushed it out of the way. And so imagine generations of sin getting pushed and pushed and pushed all storing up the wrath of God which is necessary for this sin and then imagine when Jesus hangs on the cross after living a perfect life and he says my God my God why have you forsaken me because there was a moment for the first time in his existence where he was separate from his father because God cannot be in the presence of sin And so imagine the wrath of God of generations of sin, past, present, and future, pour upon Jesus. He's hanging on the cross. That's why he wanted the cup to pass from him. He was worried about the the brutal death, yes, but it was more of being separated from God for the only time he's ever experienced it. Literal hell on earth as the wrath of God pours upon him from these sacrifices that pushed it forward. Now hear about, listen now, and, and hear about, what Jesus said, he was very aware of this. So the writer of Hebrews is quoting Jesus in some of these, and we're gonna be in verse eight. First he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings, you, God, did not desire, nor were you pleased with. He didn't want that, they didn't redeem the people though they were offered in accordance to the law, verse nine, then he said, this is Jesus, here I am, I have come to do your will. He set aside the first to establish the second, meaning the first covenant is now set aside so that he can establish the new covenant. And by that will, listen to this, oh, somebody needs to hear this in the house today. We have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Have you accepted him as your Lord and Savior? You are holy because you have been made holy once and for all. You see, in the kingdom of heaven, there's no such thing as low self-esteem because you are holy. And we see this all throughout scripture. Brothers and sisters, here you are. You are the head, not the tail. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation set apart. We see this because of what Jesus did. I want to end it with this. I want to end it with a story about King David. I love King David. I can relate a lot to King David. He messed up so many different ways. Yet he's called a man after God's own heart. You messed up a lot. You could still be a man or a woman after God's own heart. Because David was quick to repent and he was dependent upon God has nothing to do with the lack of sin in his life. Trust me. Now we know the major sin of David, or we think we do. And that's when David got Bathsheba pregnant and had her husband killed. Cause that is like the real housewives of Jerusalem, man. Like that's some scandalous stuff. But that wasn't David's greatest consequence of his greatest sin. This one, we don't know very well. We don't hear about it very much. But it takes place in 2 Samuel chapter 24. This is worth a read. The whole thing is. 2 Samuel chapter 24. David takes a census. he, He wanted to see how many soldiers he had. And you may think, well, that's not that big of a deal. What's the harm in a census? You can go back and read. There's depth to it. But the basic idea is is that God told him to go into battle and if God was with him, he would always win. And he was about to go to battle against the Philistines, but he wanted to take a census to count how many people he had just so he could make sure he could win. Then basically what that says is, I'm gonna win without God. I wanna make sure. Now before we're too difficult on David, we do that. If God's calling you to do something, you're like, I don't know if I'm equipped to do it. So I'm gonna make sure that I can get everything lined up before I'll say yes, God it's natural but what it basically says is God I want to be dependent on you for everything but I'm going to do everything I can in my willpower to make sure that you don't have to show up so I don't have to be dependent on you so I can make sure that I can do it basically what that says is I don't want to leave any room for faith or the smallest amount possible because I want to make sure that I'm equipped and as a result of that a plague comes upon David's people 70,000 people die because of David's census. Imagine as the leader what that would feel like to know that 70,000 men, women, and little kids are dying because of your disobedience. But again, if we've grown up in a household that was, let's just say, not perfect, we understand The sins of others can affect us and it can affect little kids who then grow up into adults who then have the same dysfunction they put on their little kids and it's a cycle and i want you to hear what david does this is going to show you the heart of david and i believe this is going to show you what real christianity looks like verse 18. That very day Gad, the prophet, approached David and told him, go up and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor that belongs to Aruna the Jebusite. So David went up just as Gad had ordered, consistent with the Lord's command. When Aruna looked down, he saw the king and his staff approaching him. (laughs) I would imagine that he had that that same feeling when you got called to the principal's office and you're like, dude, what'd I do? (laughs) Or when your mom calls you by your first and middle name. He sees the king walking up and he's like, uh oh. Aruna went out and bowed before the king with his face on the ground and asked him, Why has your majesty the king come to his servant? And David replied, To purchase your threshing floor and build an altar to the Lord so the pestilence can be averted from the people. The plague will end. Aruna responded to David, May your majesty the king take it. And offer whatever pleases him. Here are the oxen for a burnt offering, along with the threshing sledges and the yokes from the oxen for wood. Your Majesty Aruna gives it all to you, to this, because you're my king. And Aruna also told the king, May the Lord your God be pleased with you. He's saying, You're the king. I'm not going to charge you for this. You can have it all. You're the king. Who am I to charge you? It's understandable. Lean into this church. Lean into David's response. Verse 24, no, the king replied to Aruna, I will buy them from you at full price. Here's the whole thing. I won't offer to the Lord, my God, burnt offerings that cost me nothing. See, I don't want this to be the bait and switch. I'm telling you that if you're going to live a life following Jesus, it's going to cost you. It's gonna cost you some relationships. It's gonna cost you your time. It's gonna cost you your selfishness. You're not gonna be able to always do things that you wanna do. It's gonna cost you serving. It's gonna cost you your money. It's gonna cost you something. It's gonna be courageous. It's gonna require courage. I love what King David said. I will not offer anything to my God that didn't cost me something. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 silver shekels. Interesting historians say that this threshing floor is what one day David would use for the temple court when the temple was rebuilt. That's a whole nother sermon in itself. He built an altar to the Lord there and presented burnt offerings and peace offerings. So the Lord answered David's prayers for the land and the pestilence on Israel that was averted. And in the last part, the very last verse is not in the notes because I told you earlier, I believe, and I don't say this very often, that God gave this to me this morning for you to hear and for me to hear. And it takes place later in Hebrews. Listen to this, Hebrews 13, 15. Through Jesus, therefore, Let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. It's easy to praise God when you got a lot of money in the bank account, when your kids are well behaved and come home with a great report card, when you and your wife are doing amazing, when you get the promotion, when you get healed. When the medicine works. And God wants those praises. He needs that glory. But that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about the sacrifice of praise. In which I don't feel like it. I don't see any evidence that you're answering anything. Yet I will still praise your name. Some of you in this room need to lean into that phrase sacrifice of praise. Because during the worship of this church from the stage looking out it looks like you serve a God that's dead I don't see a lot of worship how are we going to raise young men and women and lead our families husbands if we don't set the example of a sacrifice of praise I don't feel like it good sacrifice of praise it'll mean more it'll cost you something that's just to be very transparent I didn't worship or sing for 30 years I sat there pride what would they think of me What if I look stupid? I can't sing. Me, me, me. A sacrifice of praise can be when you get the diagnosis and you're like, I'm going to die from this. There's no healing. I don't know what's going to happen. Well, I'm going to praise you through it. And I'm going to believe in you, and that your promises are true. And I'm going to sacrifice at this moment, a sacrifice of praise to you, God. And how much more would it mean during that time? It will cost me something. My marriage is hurting. It just ended. I feel alone. I feel less than. I don't know what's going on, God. I feel completely worthless. But I'm still going to praise you. I'm still going to offer you a sacrifice of praise. What does that mean to God? See, some of us, to be real honest with you, have had a parasitic relationship with God. You got forgiveness, you got heaven, and you've done nothing since for the kingdom. When your neighbor next to you is one heartbeat away from hell. Some of you have waited too long to start serving to start telling people, your co-workers about Jesus, to start contributing financially. You've waited too long, a parasitic relationship, there is no sacrifice there. But to accurately follow God will cost you something. And Jesus never promised us that things would be better. He promised us that it would be worth it. In case you haven't turned on the television in six months, and if you haven't, you're smart. This world needs some courageous men and women to stand up and to declare who Jesus really is. No more jellyfishes. We need men and women with backbones that will stand up. So to the people in the room that walked in here feeling less than, book of Leviticus, blood, guts, and the goat, disgusting things and gross smells. All of these sacrifices are here so that we can have a better understanding of what Jesus did for us.